0: this is a complicated sigya and a very broad suya, which has so many different implications ramifications and it is relevant in two areas most of the sources we have on our sheet deal with monetary issues but the question is also sometimes in our history a question of din and fushays So I just want to mention two very dark periods in our painful history. One is probably the darkest period in the history of the world, which is the Holocaust. And usually I don't speak in exaggerations. I say probably the darkest period in the history of the world. And another is also a dark history for the Jewish people and I'll explain what I am referring to. The fundamental question is, could a person care for his own interests when by doing so, he might be causing damage or harm to others? And the context of the question is, you know, when we learn Chumash Veracious, the way I was in Neuhaeg, and many of you are familiar with Mice Forum, especially the new the new publication, the new edition of Mechasoshal Alataira. <laughs> so I am always very careful when we speak about Masa voice just to explain to us the other sagdashin, Avram Mit and then Maisha Aharain and the other. Giants of yore were not mere mortals. That Ramban writes in his introduction to Khomeshamois, Master of Is Yitzir Lebonim. Everything they did, everything that happened to them, any event that took place involving these giants dictated and determined the entire future of Kladisov till the end of days. So we really don't have any personal questions on Yanko Avinu or the other segregation. But we also learn these past years, the Fib Shutan, for two objectives. One is if we could learn Musa and Torah, and Pilpura Dioraita. Just to develop sugya. So in Mincha Sosha, in Chumash Bereisha specifically, there are many discussions which we have Akasha and Avram, Yitzhak Yankov, or, or other giants, and we develop a sugya. But we are fully aware that whatever Yankov Avinu did, or the Imohoi Sakadeisha, there was nothing personal about it. So the question I asked, Chazal exalt the Tznius of Rochel. What a great Siddiqui she was. Yankov gave her Simonim because Rochel and Yaakov were aware that her family might put a trick on Yaakov and give him lay instead of Rochel. They were aware of this possibility. So Yaakov made up with Rochel Simonim and the Gemara Megidah few the says, and what was the sneer? At the last moment, when Rochel became aware of Roman's plan that he's gonna give Yankov a Leah instead of Rochel, she just couldn't bear the embarrassment of her sister when she would be rejected, and therefore. She passed over the Samanam to Leah to avoid embarrassment from Leah. So, if we would be the ones, if I would be a love, and Rochel would come to ask me, is this the right thing to do? I probably would pass it, no. No. Yes, you're doing something very nice for your sister, but does Yankov deserve it? Yankov doesn't want to marry Leah. He wants to marry you. So, you're avoiding preventing embarrassment for your sister. But for your sister, it's an embarrassment of 10 minutes, of an hour, of a day, of two days. She'll get over it. But Yank will be stuck with a wife that he has no interest in. So once again, in retrospect, yes, this was the way it needed to be. 50% of the shvotem came out of Leia. That is the way it needed to be. And looking back at the giants of your boat, Rochel and Leia were designated to be the heilege imohois, but just judging from a human view. Rochel does whatever she does to avoid embarrassment from Leia. Did she need to take into account how this will affect Yankarif? He also has what to say. So I'm just using this for a springboard for discussion. Is a person entitled to care for himself, his own interest, when he is indirectly causing damage or harm to others? And could he care for a family member, like Rochel cared for her sister Leah, doing something for family when you know that indirectly you are encouraging damage or harm to others? So I want to share with you three questions that actually the place can be dealt with in two different dark periods. Holocaust. So some of the, the shared stories, and Allah dilemmas of the Holocaust. And I want to specifically mention two two great Sadiqim and Talmud Hachamun. Number one is Sha'al Satshu V'smei Rabbi. Rebbe O'shri. He was a great Talmud Chacham in the Kovna ghetto. And this book is an amazing book. Five Cholokim Sha'al Satshu V'smei Kishmoi Kein Hu. And he deals with questions that were asked in the depth of despair. So he was in ghetto Kovna. There was no official role in the ghettos. The Germans didn't care about Rabonim. But he was a major Talmud Chochem and most of the shailas came to him. And he answered Shuvas. And he used to scribble the sources on scrap paper, wherever he could achieve some paper, and bury those notes by the posts of the barbed wire surrounding the ghetto, hoping that if he will survive, he will try to retrieve those notes and somehow developed them into Shah HaTshubis, which he did. He survived. He retrieved many of those tzetalach, and he wrote five volumes of Shalas HaTshubis, I recently he met his son, and he told me they're reprinting a new edition of the Mamakam, and I'm anxiously waiting to get it. I only have one chilek of the Sefer, and I desperately was looking for the others, and I, I couldn't find them. So, I hope in the very near future, his son told me that they are reprinting the safe from. That is one. The other one, that <laughs> Hershel was the dying in Weizen. He survived the war and he was a Rob in Chicago, a tremendous Talmud chacham, a Satmar And I got to know him. It was a big schust to know him. He was one of those great Hungarian Rabbonim that came from a generation that we didn't know, you know, the pre Holocaust generation in Hungary. Uh, and he published a safer after the Holocaust called Mekatshe Hashem, Jewish exclusively from Rabbonim that perished in the Holocaust, that were killed and murdered by the Nazis. Most of the letters that Chubas are correspondence with him, but not only with him, with many others. And he wrote an introduction to Mekacy Hashem in which he tells his own personal story during the Holocaust and also shares with us some of the Halachic dilemmas. So, what was the Shaila? The Germans demanded from the Yudnarat, from the Jewish, from their Jewish servants, a quota we want 300 people in this transport. And usually this transport went directly to the killing fields, either the gas chambers. And a person becomes aware that two of his children were snatched off the street and they're on those cars, those cattle cars, or waiting in line to go in the cattle cars. Is he entitled to get them away and to save them knowing that two other kids will be Snatched from somewhere, either from the street or they'll break into houses because they need the number. And if they won't come up with that number, the Nazis will, will kill them. So, as a person entitled to save his own, knowing that two other Yiddish will perish instead of his children. What a painful shyna. We should never, ever need to deal with these questions again. But I want to share with you a, a, a terrible feeling. We also didn't believe that we never, ever would need to see these sights again. And what we saw in Simchaseder is reminiscent, it brings to mind terrible sights of the Holocaust. That is one version of the question. Another version that was quite common: the trains going. to to death. And many were aware by that stage that they're just going to be exterminated, going to be killed. And some young, brave people broke off a plank of the wall of the cattle car or broke open a window and they wanted to jump out to safety, hoping to safety. And the other people in the car objected because they were afraid And the Nazis and the Germans will see that some people escaped. They'll punish all the others. They'll torture them. And there was fighting going on in the cattle car. And many wanted to prevent those that wanted to jump out. And they insisted, we don't care. We believe we're all going to perish and we want to save ourselves. So these two questions are what we are dealing with. So even though most of our sources are monetary I just gave two examples in which we're dealing with the Another dark period in our history was the Cantonists in the Russian army under the Russians. And that was Xayda that tore Jewish communities apart. And there are a few Jewish in the days of the Chesel Seifer about this story. So the Russian decree was every Jewish community needs to give A number of Jewish youth to serve in the Russian army. Service in the Russian army was not like the IDF, the Israeli army. We always like to complain. And sometimes we are right with our complaints. I don't want to sound negative. Yes, serving in the Israeli army is not like sitting in yeshiva. Definitely not. But it's a Jewish army. And the army does its best to be forthcoming and accommodating. Every soldier has time to dab in kosher food to eat. He could wear his yarmulke and sits his and pay us proudly. After all, it's a Jewish army. But those that were conscripted into the Russian army served for 20 years, for 25 years. Their life was destroyed. No Yiddish guy. Nothing and they couldn't get married. They were serving in the army. Many of them died in the crazy wars, and not only in the wars, but in the brutal treatment they had in the Russian army. And it wasn't personal. They didn't look for Yankov or Shimon or Ruven or Yehudo. There was a quota. The community, depending on the size of the community, needed to give a certain number. The rich and the well-connected always saw to it that their children would be safe. And the poor paid the price. And communities were torn asunder. So much machlekis. The poor people that didn't have the connections were frustrated and angry and they were ready to kill because their kids were always the ones that were snatched away from home and taken into the army while those that were rich and affluent always paid a ransom, they paid shaychad, and they saved their kids. The most significant discussion is in Seyfah Shalos, was Galia Masechet, Rab David, he was the Rav of Novardok, so he was there. There's some safer writes to from far away. So if you people will be interested in getting more into the Din and Afush's part of this Shaila. Then we can discuss it maybe next week, Shira, or, or we might be moving on to another topic. I just gave three examples, which are three examples which are not only about monetary issues, but about de neinefoshes mamish. But the dilemma is the same dilemma: Am I entitled to care for myself and for my own, my children, my family? I want to save them from danger and from pain and from suffering or death, knowing. But somebody else will have to step in. Somebody else will be taken, and his life will be negatively affected. Is that legitimate or not? So, after this introduction, let's embark on our journey. So, I think this discussion is a fascinating discussion. And a so, you know, sometimes when I learn minchasosh, I'm really spoiled. So, I brought together about 15 sources. From Shas, you shall me, Different questions, many different areas, but fundamentally they all boil down to the same dilemma. Let's start off in Baba Basad, Let's just learn the Gemara. Rabbi Pasach, Oitzis, Bishnei It was a year of famine. And Rabbi had a responsibility to divide two, to give out funds, Umar bale so... I don't have money to pay for ignorance I want to provide only for the benaitoro Torah. please give me money help me the sequence is a bit strange. First, they asks him, Korisa? Korisa was mikra. He says, no. And then he asks, Shonisa? If he doesn't know Chumish, how would he know nice Well, today, that would be the right way to ask. Some of us don't know a puskin and Chumish, but there might be booking That is very common in our yeshivists. Vachetet should be the other way around. He should first ask, Shonisa, are you a London? And if he says, no, at least could you learn Chomish or Tehelim? I don't give money to ignorant people. I just give money to Talmud. And he begs. I'm an animal. But according to Allah, a person needs to feed his animals as well. Yosef Rabbi, he regretted. The guy touched his heart, but then he regretted. I shouldn't have given him money. Omar, for Reb Shimon, Reb Shimon was Rebbe's son. Isn't that Yonasan ben Amram, Talmidcha? He looked familiar to me. Isn't that your great Talmid, Rabbi Yonasan ben Amram? She ain't a roitzelahenis mekvoy he didn't tell you who he is because he doesn't want to be an Akvaida Taylor. But he's a great Talmud Chachim. And it became clear that that person was a great Talmud Chachem. So Rabbi said, We can no longer know who is, who isn't, who's Chashib, who's not. Let them all come in. The Rebbe had a very negative opinion about Tamei and that is why he didn't want to support them. And then the Chazal tells a fascinating story. The authorities demanded taxation on the city of Tveria. So the working people, you know, in Israel, the Khameni community, there's a concept, Oved. That is a number two number two citizen, lower class citizen. Kharidi Oved is working as if that is something very ugly to say about a person that he's working. Because that the past don't need to pay taxes. If we need to carry the entire financial burden, we're gonna to leave town. Omale leave. I don't care, leave. So 50% of the community left. The remainder people, working people, said, now we even have a bigger burden to carry. Let the rabbonim carry part of the burden. There was one guy that had a cleaners. He was the only guy left in town besides the Kuala. And well, we have some communities in Israel in which nobody works. Everybody learns. So the authorities said he should pay the entire sum. So. So that last guy closed those cleaners, and he left town as well. Nobody was left besides the kotel guys, poke kalila. And then the authorities decided no taxation. So Rabbi says, "This is what I've been saying all along. If in this town there would be only Talmud yechamim, nobody would need to pay anything." So this is an interesting story. But the Ramban and the Ritva have a disagreement. What's our take on this story? Could we learn a halacha? The Ramban has a lengthy discussion, and the Ramban says, when those people asked the Rabbi, are we entitled to leave town? The Rabbi said, yes, we're entitled to leave if you don't want to pay because you argue that the cradle guys need to participate in this payment, you're wrong. They don't need to pay. It's all about you. But if you want to leave, you're entitled to leave. And then Aban wants to learn from here. Yeah, People can leave town even though they are aware. If we leave, the people that cannot leave will need to pay more. But they they have the right to care for themselves. I don't want to pay tax. I want to go live elsewhere. That's exactly what's happening. Jews and many other people, especially affluent people that have money, are leaving New York and all moving down to Florida and to Texas where more friendly environment, less tax, it's easier to make money. I know nothing about the story, but you know better than me. So that Ramban wants to prove from this sugyu. I am entitled to leave town because there's too much taxation. Even though knowing that I will leave, others will have to pay more. So unlike the modern system in those days, the non-Jewish authorities demanded that the Jewish community come up with a sum. That was anti-Semitism. And that's the way it was for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years. The Goyim said, Jews are rich. You have money I know, under your beds. And they demanded the Jewish community come up with a sum. So every person that leaves town places a greater burden on those that stay. The Ritva, for some reason, is not on our sheet. But the Ritva says no. When they say arokinan, and everybody says aroiko. That was not a shaila and a tshuva, that was a threat. They told Rebbe, If you're not going to say the Talmidachacham and me to pay tax, then we're going to leave. And Rebbe said, If you want to leave, leave. I can do nothing. I'm not going to change my psaq. So, two different interpretations that I'm going to read for what we could learn from this peiches. We move on. So the Ramoth isn't clear. What is he talking about? So this is a Yerushalmi primarily. Let that show him. Quote, We're dealing with a river that is Overflowing. And this happens all the time. I think just a few weeks ago in Brooklyn, there were floods, terrible floods. Borough Park was almost submerged. So a person sees that the river is rising and he has a field right next to the river and he wants to dig a ditch to divert the water. It shouldn't destroy his field. So he's diverting the water aside, and the water will get into other fields. So if he does nothing, his field will be destroyed. Then Amor says, he is entitled, (inaudible) he can dig a ditch to save his field, even though he is indirectly causing damage to others. Let them do the same. I don't need to care for them. I am entitled to care for myself. Sma comments, according the Mukhi Yosef, but if the water already is on his field, he cannot now dig a ditch and have the water go into other fields. The Gorn Yu Shalmi per Gimel, Roh Ama Samayim, Shoitefes, Vibo, Litov Sedeu. And then the Yoshami learns from this aloha, similar case of taxation. And that is the Kresoy Argira. And the the Argira, of a Daviditi but if they already demanded money from him, he cannot get away and send them to others. So, coming back to Baba the people that threatened to leave town, it wasn't a personal claim the government had against them. It was a general claim to the community, and that is why, according to the Ramban, they had the right to escape. So the Yeshama deals with the question when the authorities demand money from him, and he wants to say, "I'm poor, I don't have money. Go to my neighbors." He's not allowed to do that, but he's allowed to run away. They shouldn't find him. So Rama, Sma, Biragro are the same package, the same story. Shach Kuf Samech similar but a different source, which is interesting. Many G'dayim reach the same conclusion, but they learned it from different sources. So according to the Gohan, the Ramos is based on Yehushalmi. Dishach, similar to that, based on the Gamora and Yavonis. Let's have a look at Dishach. The Lord is the Lord who is the Lord and is the Lord and is the Lord and there is one who is the Lord and so the authorities demanded from one or two individuals. And now we're speaking with individuals, they should pay. We don't know exactly what the context was. But in the feudal system, they did whatever they wanted, demanded whatever they wanted. And then there's a maker. You know what a machar is? A maker is in English, in Yiddish, in Evrit, in all the languages. A maker is the guy that has connections and protects him. And he could get his friends off the hook. But then he knows that the authorities will demand the same sum from others. <speaking in Hebrew> It is similar to what the Sma says on the previous question. So if there's a rumor and we know that the authorities will demand a certain sum of money from... Two rich people, part of the community, but they did not specify who are the ones, who are the ones with the bad luck. Then, if you have connections, you are entitled to get out of the loop. But if they already caught you and they said, you need to pay, you're not allowed to try to get away. And then they will demand from others. Once again, we're dealing with money. The Gamoran bava basa, the yusalmi, the shulchan aruch, the shach—it's all about money. And the shach learns from a question of an approach. and that's in the scientists. So this is a story of Shol and the and the give aynim. The give fought the Jews. And Shaul killed some of them, and they demanded, before making peace with David Melech Yisrael, seven members of Shaul's family to be hanged. Very complicated so for us to understand in our modern worldview. But David Melech had Rachmanasan Mephiboshis, Ben Yonasan, Ben Shaul, because Yonison was David's best friend. And he had like, Rechmon and Sami Lohe Beis Shes, So the like, Gemara says, how does David decide mi yichive mi yamas, heviran lefnei ha'orin, kol shor kol tay, He left them up to a kodesh baruch hu. wasn't his personal decision. VeYachman haMelech al Mefi Beis Shes ben Yonis nemen shor shalo hevira lefnei orin, vechimas apolami bedama. Why did he pray for Nephi and, and not for the others? If the Orin would be collated, then David wouldn't have him. Because he knows if he is out, somebody else comes in if he saves his life, he's jeopardizing someone else's life. But as long as he wasn't in, Loy Kultay Oren Dover is entitled to Daven. And in Davin, Shaloyekletenoho Oroin. So the Shach and the Sma, two different sources of Hashemish, but reached the same conclusion. And it is also based on the Yushami. If you are already in trouble, you can save yourself when you know others will bear the brunt. But if you are not yet in trouble, you are entitled to save yourself, even though you know somebody will need to pay the price. So when I connected, it was exactly what Absraima discussed, Chabasiwar. Yor. Yor is a lengthy discussion in the middle of his tshuva, I think that is what Rav Shloyman discussed. I don't know, or pals, or falz, whatever it is. Germany. Heidelberg. There was a powerful Jew. And he had the chutzpah. In those days it was considered a chutzpah to make a claim against one of the powerful leaders of the Goethe community. Obviously that Jew was powerful enough and he wasn't afraid. But the members of the community were terrified because that guy was a man of power and he could hurt the entire community. And they were willing to put together money to pay off the claim. Just don't start up with that guy. And the Chavessiur comes up. with a surprising second. He says we have no right to demand from him. Not to stand up for his rights. If he has the power. If he wants to make a claim. And go to court against that guy. He's entitled to do so. And he does not need to abstain. Being afraid. That it might hurt the community which is very interesting. And then if we go down, you know, he brings the Gamoram Baba Vassal to make his point. And then he shares with us another fascinating story, which I don't know much about. Four lines before the bottom of the page. pasakti <speaking in Hebrew> I don't know what the Rosh HaTavis Kuv, means happy so So, obviously, the government, there was a chomo, and they wanted to open a gate in that choma and they needed to tear down a few houses. And the people whose houses were designated for demolition wanted to use protection and say, no, don't do it here, do it 300 meters down the road, and then other houses will be demolished. So as long as the authorities didn't decide exactly where they want to do that, He's entitled the homeowners, the house owners, the real estate owners are entitled to do a go elsewhere. But after they decided this is one of where we want to breach the wall, and these are the houses we need to destroy. They are no longer entitled to try to send them elsewhere. So all the sources we quoted up to this point are actually on the same page, same principle. Kesef HaKodeshim, next page, the buchacharav is the first one that wants to say, maybe Dina and are different than Dina Momenes. And even if we say, regarding monetary issues, a person is entitled to say, I care for myself. I'm not responsible that others might need to pay. But Dina and would be different. You cannot save yourself and directly put other people's lives in danger. But then he writes through a line because the shah deals with a monetary issue, and he brings a rai from the Gemara. And that directly deals with Dina Nefosius. So the case of was the Bechacharov. He was a great girdle, wrote many Svaram, always very fascinating, innovative, interesting Svaras. And he, for himself, argues we cannot compare Mominus to Nefosius. But actually, it's both ways around. So what we're seeing right now on our screen is, And even if we say regarding monetary issues, a person is entitled to say, I care for my money. i bear no a responsibility for the fact that if I save my money, others will need to pay up. But being in a fosheth, you need to be machmer more. But when we move over to the next page, he says, totally the opposite. Maybe by being a fosheth, a person has more right to save himself. I need to save my life. So regarding a as he says, He says, so regarding the Nefoshis, no, I, I think it is similar to what he said in the beginning. person is not entitled to save his life and jeopardize the life of others. Because of my
1: causes, The general of Yes.
0: I think so. I think so. I think so. Yes, probably my cousins. You have no right to save your life. So it's not mommy, similar to my cousins, because my cousins were dealing with killing a person directly. Therese in and says, if I am passive, and they go and want to take me and throw my body on an infant, But I'm not doing anything. I do not need to object. So our case is somewhere between Kumbhaseh and Sheva al I am not directly destroying another person's life. But I am doing something. I'm not totally passive. I am doing something to salvage my life. Even though indirectly I will be causing danger to other people's lives. There's a fascinating chazanish which is not on our sheet but for some reason it doesn't appear in the simon in my seifah. So the chazanish deals with a theoretical story which with modern technology is no longer theoretical. So the chazanish deals with a question. person shot an arrow or threw a spear and that spear or arrow or bomb Will kill tell people. And he could divert it to another side. And only one people, one person will be killed. But yeah. that person's life is not in danger. Is that the right thing to do? So the Chazanish theoretically in principle did not write Chuvis. There are no Chubas alokana maisa written by the Chazanish. I don't know why, but that was his philosophy. But the Talmidim of the Hassanish say that this was an actual question. He was a truck driver. And there's something wrong with his brakes. And he couldn't stop his truck. And it dawned upon him, the steering wheel was working, but the brakes were not. And if he would just let the truck go a lot of people would be killed. He turned the steering wheel and he crashed into a wall but one person was killed and he was devastated and he asked the chazanish, did I do the right thing? He acted instinctively and in that split second he had no one to ask. And that is what the Chazanish was dealing with, but the Chazanish didn't want to write Shaloset Shuvis, so he didn't relate directly to the question. But that's the story. So the Chazanish asked a theoretical question: An arrow was going in a direction; it'll kill many people. Could we make it move sideways today with guided ammunition? Just one moment. Today, with guided missiles and devices, this is a very practical question. And the Chazanish writes a Gaval de and he says, it is the right thing to do. Are we allowed to kill one person to save others? It's a Yerushalmi of Masechet Rames. No, you have no right to do so. So the Chazanish differentiates and he says, there's a difference between a meisah and a Maisa hariga. The Yesharim deals with the situation in which goyim tell a group of Jews cannibals, "Give us one; we want one of you to be killed. And if you don't cooperate, we're going to kill you all." And the Gemara says in Yesharim, "It's nowhere in Babli, it's Yesharim the We say we. Never will decide me yechir vemi yomis. That is up to a kodesh We will give you none of our own, and if you insist to kill us all, let it be. So the chazanish writes, "Why would this be different?" The chazanish writes a He writes, "Giving out a person to be killed is a maisa We have no right to do that, even though we could salvage the many." And destroy the one. You have no right to do that. Leave it up to a Baruch But turning the steering wheel. In order that the truck shouldn't kill. A group of people. Is a maisa rachmoni. It's an act of mercy. It's not an act. Of killing. It's an act of saving. So even though you are aware. That by. Moving that guided missile aside or turning the steering wheel, you're going to be killing the one, it is the right thing to do. I think only the Chazanish could write a Hiddish like that. So, coming back to our fundamental question, is a person right to care for his self or his own, even though he knows that others will pay the price? Our conclusion from all the sources we discussed, we still have a few more on our sheet, but I doubt we'll get around to do that. So, according to all the sources we discussed, as long as I am not yet caught or in the loop, I have the right to do everything I can. I could leave town. I could divert the water to go sideways. I could care for mine even though others might pay the price. So regarding the NFL, if we want to come back to the question that was asked, and it appears in the introduction of the Ha'esh, the Sefer Hashem, I think a person is entitled to save his children. And let us hope that no one else will be put on that train. We could never know, Everything is but he is entitled to save his own. I don't know whether many of you are aware, does the name Yisrael Kastner say anything to you? I don't know. But Yisrael Kastner was a Hungarian Jew that organized a train and he reached an agreement with the Germans paying money and a few hundred Jews were on that train And they were saved. And he had various shady, questionable activities, saving some of his family members, some of his friends. He was judged by an Israeli court. They found him guilty. He appealed. They acquitted him. And the story of Yisrael Kasme is a very well-known story in Israeli politics going back. 60 years, the Satmar Rebbe Lebyelish was on Kasna's train. And that is how he was saved. And those questions were similar to what we discussed today. He took advantage of his power and his negotiations and his connections to save some of his family. I think our that would be legitimate because he was the one that organized that plan and his family was highly represented on that train that took them to safety more than others. So this is a fascinating discussion. We brought many sources from Chosha Mishpat, and everything seems to fit in to the same pattern. And as I said, the sources we quoted are all about momentous, but the same theoretical questions sometimes in our history affected nephroses.
1: Anybody? We uh, will probably have a chance to submit a question or two. I have one that came up here. Anybody want to submit a question?
0: So, do you have any questions?
1: Yes, a nephesh an question and a business question. Nephesh questions. If someone got a tsav to to uh, join a unit, which would be subjected to questions of Sakonis the And his father is an ex-general of Protexia and can put him into a uh, unit that's in an office and in an intelligence unit. Mutur
0: Two young soldiers just stepped into my house and that is why I got up from my seat. Two wonderful young boys. manglit. Yiddish so two young soldiers just walked into my house, Baulakar. and also a rob walked into my house. Shalom. Oh. <laughs> That's one. No. Two. Those are Baulakar. Baulakar. So these two wonderful young boys, I assume they came to ask for brothers. How about them. Okay, So, you know, most of the young soldiers I know would object to this plan and they would say, we want to fight for Israel. We don't want to sit in an office. We prefer, prefer to be out there in the field. A father that's concerned about his son, I think is entitled, The Army Needs People, Not Only in Combat Units. You know, an efficient army has logistics. Somebody needs to feed the soldiers. Everybody is part of the war effort. So I think halakhically, he is entitled to do so. Especially, it is not exactly the same scenario as we discussed today, that there's a certain quota. And if you go out, necessarily somebody else will come in. So I think, yes, he is entitled. You can't dodge the draft because this is a Malchemes Mitzvah. I am adamantly opposed to what some of the Bonham said. It's not a Malchemes Mitzvah because we don't have a Novi, we don't have Sanhedrin. That is nonsense. You need a Novi and Sanhedrin for a Malchemes arishus, Malchemes Mitzvah, the Rambam says, any time you fight enemies that come to destroy Israel, it's a Malchemes Mitzvah. The Bach and Reishman test in Luchus Shabbos says, even in goddess when Jews are in danger and you fight to protect them, it's malchemist mitzvah. So you cannot dodge the draft. But if you're going to have, if you're going to serve in a different unit, then I think it's legitimate. But most of the ones I know, like the two wonderful people sitting on my right and my left, probably wouldn't want that.
1: Okay, one Okay. More a little embarrassing to move from the Birkok Nefesh to something like this, but there's a scarcity of seats on a plane. Can you use Protexia um, to get onto a plane, knowing full well that yes, somebody bump, else
0: will be bumped off?
1: Bump somebody else off. And plus, there's a, a request from the island of Rav to continue you continue these type of trials next week. So I assume there's many more sources, and we can. Uh, okayhem yeah
0: so i think you about? can i i think you cannot you don't have the right to try to get on a plane where you know that somebody else will be bumped off that flight
1: uh okay. well i mean what's the application of this of the here was this person given the seat already was he not given the seat
0: uh, that, that, that exactly that exactly it is is it because if in all probability a person was given a seat and it'll be taken off, then it would be a prohibition. But if not, of course you could.
1: In other words, you can't bump somebody who has a boarding pass. But if everybody's fighting for the same open seat, then you're allowed then you're- to lose.